On this episode of Cannabis Business Minds, we talk about insurance. Insurance can be a daunting subject, albeit an essential one. Can you find insurance for your cannabis company? And are their premiums going to be so massive if you even find insurance? In an effort to better understand the misconceptions that surround the insurance industry, I'm interviewing Brett Bennett on today's show from Sagacious Insurance. Get ready to take some notes because I guarantee you will find and learn some things that you didn't know. Cannabis sales were $5.7 billion in 2015. Cannabis industry is valued at $22.8 billion by 2020. In 1996, there wasn't a single dispensary in the U.S. In 2016, there are 25 states that have legalized medical marijuana. Welcome to the Cannabis Business Minds podcast, where you gain insight from business leaders in the cannabis industry to help take your business to the next level. Brett began his insurance career as a general agent for employee benefits. Quickly realizing he could be of more assistance to his clients, he joined forces with Maura Perkins of Sagacious Insurance Services in 2016. Together, they have partnered to ensure all their clients, large and small, local and out of state, receive the absolute best customer service and professional advice for all their insurance needs. I was talking with Brett earlier this week, actually, about insurance in the cannabis industry for my own company, for my clients' companies, and I knew immediately that I had to get him to share his insight on Cannabis Business Minds. Brett, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for being on it. I gave you such a a brief background, um, but can you just tell our listeners, how did you get involved into the cannabis industry in the insurance space? Well, I mean, I traditionally was working in, you know, your regular markets, your white collar, blue collar, tech industry, you know, con- con- contractors, construction. And I had a few friends that I've grown up with over the years that have started their own businesses in the can- in the medical cannabis industry. And I had a few of them reach out and say, you know, hey, what do I what do I need? You know, and what what kind of risk do I have an exposure for? Because I, a lot of these guys, you know, they're they're just coming out into the market, into the business. And there's a lot of that minutia that comes along with starting a business of, you know, what are my exposures? What, what do I need? What do I not need? And what's, what's true information versus what's misinformation. And so I started doing some homework on it and I kind of found myself in this little niche of a market where, there was a lot of people coming in trying to do insurances, but a lot of the other companies didn't really have traditional backgrounds to where they knew what what the markets were like and what the carriers were willing to accept as an acceptable risk. So that was kind of my first like stepping into the pond on the industry. And then one turned into two, two turned into three, and then just started following the trends in the market a little bit more and, and kind of picking, picking it up as I went, but it's, it's very similar to the traditional market, but there's definitely a lot of little caveats that are specific to the medical cannabis industry. For sure. And that's what I'm going to pick your brain about in a little bit. So tell us, I I pronounced it wrong the first time, but it's a Jasis, right? That's the company, what it's called, what your um, company is, correct? We're sagacious insurance services. So the way I remember it is when you think of like a geisha, but it, what it means is it means keen, cunning, on top of your game, uh, you know, kind of rolling with the punches on things. <laughs> I found that 
I go back and forth telling people how to pronounce it more times so that they actually don't forget the name of my company. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly how I feel with Calagia as well. Um, so then you talked to us a little bit about the name, what the name means, but I didn't even tell our listeners, like you're based in California. So if you don't mind telling a little bit about what markets you're serving and what are your offerings that you are are really providing cannabis operators? Yeah, so we, um, I'm licensed in 19 states, so I pretty much have the whole West Coast up to Texas. Um, and then, so we have, for the medical cannabis, you know, we have uh, California and Washington. So really what we're doing is protecting people against their liabilities, um, against theft, against fire. Uh, theft, I find, is, is a very big one, but it's, there's, there's a lot of caveats that are not made aware in the cannabis industry that are normal in the normal insurance markets. Uh, so kind of what we talked about uh, last time you and I talked when we were talking about, you know, basic policies, when someone goes and gets an insurance policy, they assume that theft is part of the part of the equation and fire is another one. Well, traditionally, when you go get a liability policy for your business, theft and fire are automatically included. But in the cannabis industry, theft and fire are automatically excluded unless you specifically add it as in what's called an endorsement. And that's an extra, basically a line item on your policy that says, I am insuring against this. And therefore this would, if this, if a fire rolls through, like they did in Santa Cruz and wipes out my entire product, I'm insured. But here's the cool part with the insurance, you can actually insure against what's called business income. So when we write a policy, and when I go and meet with a client, I say, you know, how much do you predict that you're going to make in the next 12 months based on your business? And what we do is we write the policy to that gross income or gross revenue. Mm-hmm. And let's say a fire rolls through and wipes out your business. The insurance carrier, as long as it's in the policy, is going to pay what you said you're going to have in, in revenue for the next 12 months because they, they know it's going to take a while for you to get your business back up and running. So they will basically pay your revenue. Oh, wow. That's really, that's really very, very helpful. And is that something like, you know, how you mentioned like the endorsements of, okay, a typical policy, if you're in the cannabis industry, it doesn't really include that. But if you have to go and do an endorsement for like fire or theft, then it would, um, that revenue, um, that you mentioned that policy where you would have a percentage of the revenue to be insured. Is that something that's just per each policy or is that something that again, similar to the endorsement, uh, someone, someone will need to know. Uh, it's definitely something you want to know because every carrier is different. So insurance carriers are in the business of buying risk and the way it works is each month you'll have, I mean, there's about five or six carriers right now that'll write medical cannabis. Uh, but every month, each one of these carriers is going to say, well, you know, we're not going to take on any more of this risk this month. So we're going to pretty much decline to quote, or if we do quote something, it's going to be a complete bare bones policy and all those little things like fire, theft, business income aren't going to be covered unless you specifically ask for it. So the answer is, it depends. And that's where you really want to have a broker that's helping you with this because I mean, these policies are expensive. We're talking about thousands of dollars a year that you're paying Mm -hmm. and you don't want to spend 
five, six grand a year on insurance. And then if something happens, you're like, wait, I thought I was covered. Well, actually, no, you're not. Yeah. So I would say due diligence is the biggest thing. Make sure that whoever you're talking to when you're getting your business up and running, that you're getting you know, multiple opinions on this, that you're you're getting things in writing that yep. you're really protecting yourself. Yep. Hands down. I think that's just for any business is like, if you're working with any type of vendor, don't just necessarily go for the first one that you hear, maybe because the price is good or you like the person, but like really performing some type of due diligence or like an RFP process. Um, I think that's definitely mm-hmm. good. So question about the endorsement. Is it because it's federally illegal? That's why you, um, operators have to ask for the endorsement related to theft and fire, or is it because it's can- Cannabis, and there's a risk associated with that. That's not because it's federally it's, illegal. It's because it's cannabis, and there's a risk associated with that. But you do bring up a really good point with talking about it being federally illegal. Now, if I have my my dispensary insured for, for theft, and some random person comes in and steals all my stuff, that's theft. Mm-hmm. But be, because it's federally illegal, this is very important. If the feds show up at your door and take all your stuff, all your inventory, that's not theft. They can do that. Now, not saying that they w- that that's going to happen to everybody, but if that, that did come in the case, your insurance is going to not pay out if the feds knock down your door and take all your inventory. That's crazy. And what, what about, um, so we're talking state regulations, right? California, medically regulated, we're voting very soon on adult use. So what happens if a California regulatory body, and maybe because it's probably unprecedented at the moment, um, comes in and seizes assets, uh, plants, whatever inventory right is that considered theft or would it be similar to like a federal raid of okay well your product's being seized because it's breaking some form of law you know i haven't seen that happen yet yeah uh i haven't i haven't personally experienced a a state body coming in and seizing that but that's that's a very good point that you bring up and that's something that i if we do another podcast on the line i'd definitely do my homework and, and readdress yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think maybe we're just so new in this industry to really see it evolve. I think if anything, we could probably look to case examples of Colorado or something. But yeah, no, I just thought about that. I would have, I would bet, and who knows, maybe, I mean, it's bad that it's being recorded because maybe I'm completely inaccurate. But I would think that if a regulatory body was seizing it, it would be because it was a Per, I don't know, because it was against some form of compliance and then maybe that would trump the um, the policy. But I have no idea. So we'll have to do our homework and, and figure out for next episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so talk to us a little bit about, you know, the main risks in the cannabis industry. And then when we talk about that, I kind of want to dissect and go down by sectors of the cannabis industry, you know, from growing, manufacturing, dispensing to figure out from your perspective, or I guess from probably an objective insurance perspective, like what's the riskiest sector. Um, So do you mind kind of just giving us an overview of risk? Yeah. So, I mean, with any business and any any activity where we're out there interacting with other people, whether we're driving on the road, whether we're out, you know, doing sales calls, it, there's always risk involved. And I would say from my personal uh, experiences that the storefront and the delivery services usually have the highest risk. Mm-hmm. Um and then the grow, the actual commercial growers, I mean, their risk is mostly theft, fire, flood, 
and which we can all insure against. Now, when we talk about throwing in the human factor, that's when the risks kind of exponentially grow. So first I'll talk about the delivery services. Okay. So more often than not, when you're running a, a small a collective delivery, you're, you don't have a fleet of cars that you provide for your employees. And most of your employees are not W-2. They're probably 1099 and, and you're running them as an independent contractor. Now, we live in California where people have a lot of nice things. There's, we got a lot of Teslas on the road and, and we're based out of Walnut Creek, California, where we have a lot of, you know, Porsches, Mercedes, BMWs. And chances are your delivery driver doesn't have extremely high vehicle coverage on his automobiles. So if he goes and damages a Tesla, crashes into a Tesla or hits a person while they're out driving on deliveries and they're auto insurance doesn't have the limits and the policy to cover the damages that they've caused or the injuries that they've caused, the injured party can go after the delivery owner, um, the owner of the the delivery service, sorry, getting tongue-tied there, (laughs) and go after them for damages. Now, there are small policies you can put in place to cover yourself as much as you can afford. I mean... So one of the things that you can do if you're a delivery owner is if you have a personal vehicle, it's going to be a little bit more expensive, but you can run your ve- you can re-register that vehicle under your business. And because now it's a commercial automobile, you can add an endorsement called what's called a non-owned auto endorsement, meaning that even though I don't own my employee's car, and I have nothing to do with it, if they're out driving, working for me and something happens, my auto policy will cover the excess liability and damages. Oh, wow. So that means I could pay a little bit more money to beef up my own personal commercial auto uh, on my policy so I could raise my limits of liability and my collision um, limits higher. So that way, if one of my employees is out driving and hurts somebody or hits another vehicle that they can't, that their auto policy can't cover, my auto policy will pick up the remainder, kind of like an umbrella policy. So it's you you have the base limit of the the employee's auto, and then you you reach the limit of that, and then my limit, and then my policy will kick in as the business commercial auto. And so rather than having to go out and buy a bunch of cars for my delivery drivers so I feel safer, this is something I can do to protect myself immediately. That's brilliant. And I think there's so many people that have no idea about that, (laughs) especially the relationship. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you touched on this while we had our call uh, earlier this week, and I'd love for you to elaborate just the concept of these independent contractors, right? And and making sure, like, so the that's such a good point about delivery, but just even if you're working with somebody and understanding kind of workers' compensation and how, yeah, you know, could you elaborate on what you were sharing with me on how, you know, I as, you know, a business owner have workers' comp, but if I'm contracting out some of my services, um, what do I need to ensure for my independent contractors to make sure that I'm covered? Yeah. So in our state, the definition of an employee and is basically anybody that's working for you, legal or not, whether or not they have documents, whether or not they're a registered um, 
green card employee is if someone's working for you, they need to have, you need to have workers' compensation. So there are in, in the state of California, there are only two insurance policies that you're mandated to have. Number one, if you want to drive your car, you need auto insurance. And number two, if you have employees, you have to have workers' comp. And so if you're if you have drivers and you're ten ninety nine them, you need to have a workers' comp policy in place. And the way that we rate workers' comp, it's based on the job class code of the employee, so what they do for work mm-hmm. and how much you're gonna pay them in the year. And you estimate how much you're gonna pay them in the year. And then you want to audit that number every quarter. And then at the end of the year, there will be a final audit saying, did you estimate the payroll correctly? And if oh. you're above or below, we need to we need to make some, some changes, whether or not you'll get a credit on the policy or if we need to debit more money out of the account to pay the policy because you went over in payroll. Now, if you're going to if you don't want to do this and you don't want to have workers comp, but you still want to use 1099 um, contractors to do your work for you. That 1099 contractor needs to have their own workers comp policy and they can give you a certificate of insurance showing that they have that policy. I highly recommend if you're going to use 1099 employees and they say that they have their own workers comp insurance, make sure as the business owner, you get a certificate of that insurance because if anything happens, that's a good way to protect yourself to say, Hey, no, I, he showed me that he had this policy. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's like two internal controls that I want to highlight that I just try to work on with my clients. And that's like having employee roles documented through an employee contract, because then you would definitely figure out that would help with your workers comp. Right. Mm hmm. And, um, that to me, that's actually one of the biggest, the second one I don't, I don't remember off the top of my head actually, but to me, that's, um, that's, that's super insightful. Um, and then what about, so that's, we talked about delivery. We talked about independent contractors. Um, what we're seeing pop up in, I want to ask you about two more sectors because I, I we, there's so many sectors involved, but um, I know we have a lot of growers listening and we talked about, uh, you know, the fire and the theft, that being some of the major risks. Are there any other risks like from the cultivator side? Uh, yeah, all your business personal property. Um, so that's going to be, if you're ever reading an insurance policy, the acronym for that is going to be BPP. And so that's all your tools, your equipment, uh, your facilities, the actual, if you've got standing up, stand up greenhouses, you want to, when you go and get your business owner's general liability policy, there is a section in that policy for business personal property. So you want to kind of guesstimate how, if there's a total loss, meaning that this whole place just a tornado came through and wiped this place out, how much is it going to cost me to rebuild everything? And do and do you have any large equipment, any large manufacturing equipment that you want to have specifically insured on the policy? Um, if you've got real industrial facilities where you've got big pieces of machinery that not aren't necessarily mobile, like they don't drive themselves, but you're bringing them out on trailers um, out to the fields, or they're going off site. You want to get an in, inland marine policy for that, and and what an inland marine? It's kind of an oxymoron because you think marine, you think ocean. Yeah. What it stands for is tools and equipment in transit. So the example on the outside of the cannabis industry would be, let's say that I've got um, a bunch of equipment that like big industrial equipment that I put on a trailer that I take out to a job site. So let's say I'm. 
a guy that goes to commercial grows to go and tend the crops, but I go to, I'm a contractor and I go to a bunch of different commercial grows. Well, every time that big trailer with all my equipment on it leaves my, my home facility, it's not insured unless I have in a specific inland marine policy to cover those tools and equipment in transit out to another job site. So even if you have a business personal property policy or included in your general liability policy, the minute that that big industrial uh, equipment leaves the property where that's on the, the address that's on the insurance policy, it's not covered unless you have that inland marine policy. Wow. So, and it's, it's, it's tough to talk about these things too, because you'll start having brokers tell you about this and you're like, is this guy just nickel and diamond me? But it's, these things are very important to have, yeah, especially yeah. if you're going out to multiple job sites. If you've got um, guys that are making um, solventless extracts that are bringing all their equipment out to a commercial grow and working on site, you want to make sure that that equipment is insured when you're out there working. Oh, hands down. I didn't, I didn't, I never thought about that. Wow. What about we're seeing a lot of advisors like myself, CPA, cropping up into the industry um, and giving advice, yeah. right? And what about, I mean, anywhere from helping with applications to doing pro forma financials, yeah. you know, what kind of risks are these advisors, um, what are they exposed to in, and what kind of insurance would you suggest that they might evaluate for their needs? Yeah, actually, you bring up a really good point. So this is a policy that I have myself. Um, any type of advisor, whether you be a CPA, an insurance broker, a lawyer, uh, you want to have what's called professional liability. And what that insures against is an error or an omission, meaning that if I sent you a policy and said, you're covered for this, don't worry. And then that happens, whatever I said you're covered for. And the insurance carrier comes back and says, no, you weren't. Your broker didn't do it correctly. I'm liable for that because I am your trusted advisor. So what I have is what's called a professional liability policy to where if someone came after me for a mistake or an error or an omission that I made, that policy is going to cover that loss. And here's my favorite part of it is that that policy has the ability for the insurance carrier to represent me in court. And usually like my, like a usual deductible on these policies is around $2,000. So I say to my clients, how fast do you think you're going to use up $2,000 in legal fees? And they say pretty fast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, okay, so you use up the $2,000, and now you might have a million-dollar policy to pay for your legal fees. So I say that professional liability is the cheapest legal fees you'll ever pay in your life. No, I, I, I agree. I agree. Perfect. Okay, just a few more questions before we get to the speed round. Um, I, I think probably a lot of people are listening and they're like, okay, yes, I think I need to, you know, reevaluate my insurance. Maybe I don't have insurance. Maybe I need to talk with Brett. Maybe I need to talk with somebody else. So they're probably thinking in their mind, how much is this going to cost me? Being in, in cannabis is expensive. Compliance is, you know, a significant amount of these guys, you know, costs on their P&L, right? So I know it's a case-by-case case example, but are we talking, you know, and each sector is very different. So I'm going to leave you with, I know that this is a very hard question to answer, but if someone's like, oh, I need to budget for insurance, what kind of ballpark are we talking it really depends on the gross revenue that you're projecting for the next 12 months, mm-hmm. how much business personal property you have, and 
if you if you mean if you have a storefront and you have people coming on your pres, pre, premises more, I mean your rates are going to be higher. Um, I would say budget anywhere between two and five thousand dollars a year for your insurances, depending on how much income you're planning on making. If you're breaking over, you know, a few million dollars a year, I would say you know you want to budget anywhere between five to ten thousand dollars a year for your insurance policies. But that's something where we would sit down and figure out yep. where I really take the time with my clients to go through the underwriting process and learn about their business. Because what I do then is take it to the underwriters at the insurance carrier and say, hey, you know, this is where this company is. And that's where your broker really comes into play. It's okay. going back and forth with the insurance carrier underwriter to saying, well, you know, these rates are a little high. They're they're actually not projected projecting to make that much money. Here's their, their, uh, income, their revenue statements are for the last 12 months. And, you know, we need to work on this. So I would say anywhere between two and $10,000, depending on where your business is and how much you're planning on generating in revenue for the year. Okay, perfect. I know that was a really hard uh, question. So thank you. That was a really good answer for it. Um, from your experience, what industry is most similar to the cannabis industry in terms of risks and premiums associated with it? Hmm. That's a good question. I would say probably liquor. Mm -hmm. If I had to just give you a, uh, a quick answer, um, because there is always uh, the potential for, let's say you're hosting a cannabis event, just like you're hosting a, a, a whiskey tasting event. You want to make sure that you have insurances so that if someone who's driving home from that event gets a DUI, they can't come back. There's a chance that they can come after you and say, well, they, this, you know, I was at this event and they overserved us and therefore they're liable. Um, that's usually something that I would say is similar, but there are policies you can get for that. Uh, an event insurance policy would be one of them. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Um, yeah. Well, and again, well, I bet this answer is going to change within the next few years as we're still pretty young in this regulated uh, environment. Okay. Speed round. So we've got about, I think I have five questions for you. Um, are you ready? Go ahead. All right. So if someone was just getting into this industry, what is something that they should know? If you're just getting into this industry, you should understand what you need to be to do to stay compliant with the state of California. Um, make sure that you have that you've talked to a new business attorney, that you have your proper documents in place, and that you are in fact in compliance. Cool. How do you think insurance will change related to this space as more states regulate and one day it becomes federally legal? I think what you'll see is a lot more carriers get into the market and you will see the underwriting process become a little more streamlined. Right now, it does take around 10 to 15 business days to get quotes back for this industry, which is not standard. Usually, we can do that a lot faster. I think you'll see things become more streamlined. Okay, perfect. What are some best practices that you can share with our listeners? for them to be able to take away how we mentioned, for example, workers' compensation, like an employee contract, like maybe even just share one best practice. Yeah, I would say make sure that you have an employee contract in place. Uh, definitely that if you have any employees, you should be talking to an insurance broker. Um, feel free to reach out to me or anyone that's, you know, local. We, I work in the entire state of California, but definitely as soon as you have an employee, 
like you absolutely should be calling someone because that is that is the key trigger. Okay. Well, that's that's very good. I think a lot of people don't know that. Uh, what are some additional resources our listeners can take away? Some additional resources would be to know that, you know, the world's at your fingertips. We do live in a generation where the Internet is very prevalent. We're able to call, text, email people. Um, I would say make sure that you're reaching out to your resources. Uh, on And don't know there's no such thing as a dumb question. Yeah, absolutely. No, hands down. All right, Brett, thank you so much. Our last question is probably the most important one. How can our listeners find more about you and all that you have to offer? Yeah, so our website is sagaciousinsuranceservices.com. You can call me anytime. Uh, I I have a toll-free number. My number is 888-654-8884, and I'm extension number five for the new business department at our office. Um, You can also email me at bbennett at sagaciousins.com. Perfect. Um, But other than that, uh, I'm on Cologia. Calogia. I try. Calogia. <laughs> See, no, it's the same thing with Sagesis, but uh, I, yeah. So uh, you can, I'm, I try to be pretty um, easy to get a hold of. Uh, you can also, if anybody needs to ever text me on my cell phone, you can do that as well. Um, but yeah, I would say I'm, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. We're right based out of Walnut Creek, California. Um, but we, uh, I'm around pretty much every day. We're, we are a small business, so just like most of our clients, we work every day and we work weekends. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for sharing your insight. I think that there was definitely many nuggets taken out of this uh, podcast. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Simone. It was wonderful being on here. All right, thank you for joining me today, and I hope you liked today's episode. If you haven't already, go on over to Calagia.com to connect with me and the other business professionals in the cannabis community. Also, if you like this, please go into iTunes and add the Cannabis Business Mind podcast to your iTunes account, and we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review. Talk to you guys next week.